Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do hauntings have more to do with time than with dead people? What are time slips? Can you catch diseases from aliens? Hello and welcome to the uh, 843rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Happy Mother's Day to all. I am Ben and those timely questions came from my co-host and partner in Paranormal Adventures and Dad, Paul. Uh, today we bring you the second of two back-to-back open line shows to deal with a slew of questions from listeners on many paranormal subjects. And we welcome your calls today. Uh, the number is 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com or contact us by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And today with us, uh, he is on for all of our open line shows, special guest host Shane Searway. And we also have Kathleen Martin with us as well. Oh, that's right. And... Uh so, uh, if you want to give your greetings to the audience, uh, Ben jumped on my lines here, but anyway. I apologize. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's such a pleasure to get you on your show today. This is the first time I've been on. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, d- just to clarify, you've been on about a hundred times, but only, a, but as a guest. This is as a special guest co-host and, uh, you're a dear friend, a renowned UFO researcher, author, and lecturer, and who shares our interest in crossover phenomena and flap areas. And uh, Kathy's interest goes all the way back to 1961, when her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, uh, became the uh, subjects of the first widely publicized alien abduction case. And Kathy's been a guest on the show many times, and uh, welcome to your on-air home as a special guest co-host. We hope I'll have you on frequently. Shane is a, is a, a stalwart as a special guest co-host, uh, one of our crazy gang who has all these wild adventures, particularly in Pennsylvania. And uh, we're going to give you both a chance to talk about um, what, what you've been up to and your, where people can find out more uh, later on. So let's, uh, let's begin. Uh, we left off last week with a question that uh, we did not in- entirely finish discussing, almost. But let's, uh, Ben, if you'd uh, try and pick up where we left off last week, we'll just try and finish that up. Sure thing. Well, you uh, might as well start from the beginning and reread the question very quickly right. so we can have a quick recap. So our question was from Karen from Boston, um, and uh, she wrote to us, I think your multiverse theories are brilliant, but it raises questions for me. Uh, I have attended seances where mediums have been taken over by spirits, who really seemed to uh, be what they said they were. They knew people in the room and knew everything about the people that were in the, in their lives. Uh, with Ouija boards also, I have seen what really seems to be spirits of the dead. Where does it all fit into your theories? Are the rest of us just getting it wrong? Uh, so we answered the first portion of it, um, but we did not quite get to Ouija boards, I believe, was the oh, okay. was where we left off. Yeah, just very briefly... Uh, one of our, our, our late guest co-hosts was uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, and we were great friends, but we agreed on nothing. Mm. Uh, Ouija boards was one of the, the things we didn't agree on. And she was rather open to the idea that these could be used. Uh, they, they could be negative, but, but we, we, I just say, you know, you can stand in, in the middle of the uh, highway and maybe you'll get hit, maybe you won't, and it's not worth taking the chance. So, uh, 
We do not agree with the practice of Ouija boards. It's a sledgehammer technique to, in our terms, knock down the wall of your neighbor's house in order to meet them. I mean, that's not the way you do it, uh, and you don't know what's going to come out. So uh, that that's one of the things. And the, the whole notion of, of uh, the, these things pretending to be what they they are, uh, there, there's a very good, there's a scene in, in the Mothman prophecies based loosely based on the book by John Keel, uh, where the uh, the character of Alexander Leek says, you know, if if th- these things aren't necessarily supernatural in the sense, uh, if the window washer up there happens to be able to see uh, things for several blocks that are going on that we can't see, it doesn't mean they're any more uh, superior to us. It just happened to have a different point of view. So I think that that's very often the case with parasites. So I don't know uh, everyone else. What any comment on that? Over to you, Shane. Ouija board, you know, that started innocently. People looking to contact a, a loved one that passed, and and you know, they're they're being given given information that only the loved one would know. But there's these parasites read thoughts. They, they read pick up on frequencies. They they can read our thoughts and our emotions. And um, so what happens is when when they think they're being contacted by their loved one through the Ouija board. Now, there's nothing strange or evil about the Ouija board. It's just a tool that focuses your attention on possibility of an inter- interaction. So it's a tool. Um, now, when you're when when you're telling these things that you want to communicate with them, what you're pulling in almost always is a parasite, and they'll look for ways to get you to give them attention and to obsess about them. And what better way than to, you know, portray a, a loved one or somebody that you're seeking to speak with, and they'll they'll play that character very well. And then you start obsessing about it, and then you're using the Ouija board constantly every single day. You know, you can't wait to, and that's what happens with these people, and then they get obsessed with it, and it, it, they can't wipe it from their internal dialogue that's massive amount of attention that's one of the things that the parasites need parasites need and then then they'll bring in the the fear you know they'll switch and they, they won't they won't be the loved one anymore and they're showing their true colors and they're destroying your life and so um but like i said the ouija board is just nothing but compressed cardboard or, or paper or whatever it's it's what it does to us so you can do that in many different ways and um you know people do that to themselves by investigating their own home because they they think it's haunted and they start you know speaking to something and um we've done this before in the past i've done this several times where the house was never or the house or the business was never haunted well i came up with a story told some people they got afraid and they started obsessing about it next thing you know we have true activity happening uh where where never happened before well the you know the ouija board works the same way so it's um you know it's it's just that thing that focuses your attention on that possibility that attention that you're giving it pulls in that parasite and that's almost always who you're communicating with okay kathy uh your expertise is uh quite broad in this field a lot of people don't realize it what thoughts do you have on that my opinion is that you simply should not use ouija boards it's too dangerous an activity Uh, i made that mistake when i was a, a teenager where uh it caused quite a lot of activity in my childhood home uh the family was obsessing on the use of the ouija board and and i did as well i was just fascinated with it and knew none of the dangers so i agree entirely with shane's assessment 
Well, I remember uh, having conversations with Rosemary on this, uh, sometimes on the air, sometimes off, and I was like talking to a shrink. Paul, you're closed off about this subject. I said, well, you get hit with enough flying television sets, Rosemary, and you get a little jaded about it. So uh, I think we're pretty much in agreement, just don't do it. So let's move on actually, to a question. Uh, sorry, I was going to say, I, I, I have two cases waiting right now for once this virus you know, gets under control a little bit that are waiting, and they started with the use of the Ouija board. Well, there you go. I've had a lot of them. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's. Uh, do we have a question here? This is a question from Brad from we don't know where. Alrighty, Brad from nowhere writes to us. Uh, your point that people could catch alien microbes uh, to which we have no immunity is a good one. Uh, I was a kid during the first Apollo moon missions, but I remember they isolated the astronauts uh, from the first few missions for days to make sure that they were not bringing back alien microbes. My question is this. Have you ever heard of strange illnesses taking place after someone has been abducted? Well, we'll turn that right over to Kathy, who happens yes, to be the abduction researcher for, for MUFON. So. <laughs> okay, so I want to preface that by saying that microbes fall to Earth from space all the time. Mm. And uh, we have about 320,000 viruses that affect mammals now, and as you have probably heard, there was a tiger and a lion at the Bronx Zoo who uh, had uh, cross-species infection of COVID-19. Oh, yeah, heard about uh, that. Yeah. Also, cats share about 80% of our DNA. And since they share some of that DNA, uh, it's easier to have that cross-contamination. Now, when it comes to an alien species, we have to ask, do they share any of our DNA? And there's some evidence that they might. Now, Bill Chalker from Australia, who wrote the book, The Hair of the Alien, was involved in an important case over there where a hair was recovered after a man who was an abductee had uh, an incident. And that hair underwent DNA analysis. And what they found was the Hmong Mien uh, speaking population of China had identical DNA in hmm. its East Asia. And uh, Betty Hill's dress underwent DNA analysis. And the scientist has just come forward to speculate that there, we know there was the same type, Hmong Mien DNA, on the left sleeve of Betty's dress in the area where those non-humans touched her dress when they were escorting her. So it could be possible that these are that population coming from the future and... Uh, so if that is true, then uh, there could be cross-contamination of these non-human entities that maybe lived on this planet uh, hundreds of thousands of years in our past and then moved on, but are genetically related to populations here. And then to get to the question on uh, whether... Someone who has been abducted has uh, contracted an illness that might have come from the craft. 
we have uh, some evidence that chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome and fibromyalgia uh, occur at a highly elevated rate among abduction experiencers. And uh, it's only about 1.5% in the general population, but it's, depending on the study, between 37 and 44% of the abductee population. And what it is is a loss of the ability of cells to burn sugars to produce energy. So it's exhaustion at a cellular level. And uh, if we share the same DNA with aliens we might also have shared that disease uh, or condition. You know, there's no way of knowing for certain. Um, and also, after uh, an abduction experience, it's quite common for abductees to feel a little malaise, to feel wiped out, very, very tired, maybe have a queasy stomach for a day or two, uh, as well, so that's my opinion. Wow, Shane, uh, I, I hear a lot of familiar uh, themes in there from parasite cases. Shane, yeah, no, I mean I, I agree with everything she just said. And I also learned a couple of things, so that was a great I answer. A lot. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So some things I didn't know there, but um, but uh, yeah, I agree totally with what she was what, what she said. No, I Kathy, was going to uh, go on the same path, but she had way more yeah. to say about it than I would have. Kathy, you're indispensable now. Mm. So, so I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I run into chronic fatigue syndrome all the time in some of these parasite cases and always have. Uh, ben, your thoughts? Um, no, it's really interesting that that sort of line of exhaustion kind of runs through a lot of these experiences. You know, whether it's, you know, UFO, ghost, whatever you want to kind of pigeonhole the experience to. But it, it's, it's fascinating that all, all across them, there's kind of this, this singular sort of thread of the physical experience mm. of it that kind of draws it all together in a way. Yeah, you're right. Well, because the, the parasite experiences I've had were very physical. I mean, I think these things are living things with bodies in some sort of parallel world or dimension or whatever that's my opinion but that's that's uh, what we have experienced uh regarding that so uh, uh a lot of food for thought mm. so what's our next question ben um shall we go to a question about time slips from peter in bogota well if we have time well ha. <laughs> uh so so peter writes to us um it's probably a couple of questions i see a one right there uh I guess that's it. There's just one question, but it's a long question. Well, so it's we'll one, one of the Peter questions we didn't get to last week. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. That makes sense. All righty. So Peter writes to us, uh, can you please talk about the case, the interesting cases of time slips? I'm referring to the cases like that of Sir Robert Victor Goddard, um, a man with multiple paranormal experiences and was advocating the paraphysical hypothesis of UFOs in the 1960s and possibly earlier. In 1935, he was flying a biplane in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, from Andover, England. He flew over Drem Airfield. Uh, it had been constructed during World War One and was now abandoned and totally um, dilapidated and being used for cattle grazing. Uh, on his return, uh, he entered some strange clouds. When he emerged from them, uh, he saw Drem Airfield had been rebuilt overnight and had unknown airplane types and mechanics and uniforms that were completely different. 
years later, the airfield was rebuilt, and the airplanes and mechanic uniforms matched what he had seen. All right. Well, my dear, first I've looked into that case, and I'm not entirely convinced that it, that it happened. I think it could be urban legend. I could be wrong. But briefly, time slips, in my opinion, <clears throat> are not you slipping into another time or suddenly getting out of bed and walking out your door and you're in a different neighborhood, the sort of thing that's actually we've actually documented, but that you are simply changing your consciousness to a life where you're already living, which would be subconscious to us here, uh, and you're simply experiencing that uh, at the top of your nexus, as, as, as we would say, the, the, the core of your consciousness. That, that's our theory anyway. So uh, regardless of what the cause of it is, uh, they, are, they are relatively common. Uh, there, I think there are minor ones we don't really notice. You know, it's one of those things. And we forget about it. And then there are some very dramatic ones, such as the Drem Airfield incident, which I say I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that that actually happened. But there are plenty of others, uh, people we've, uh, we've interviewed personally, who seemed um, entirely credible, who were professional people, who did not want anything to happen, who uh, stayed at a hotel that wasn't there the next day, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, slips in time and space, not just time. It's always space, too. So um, I, w- I will defer to um, anyone else who would like to answer the question. Now, Kathy, have you run into this sort of thing? And, and then I Jane? have. Okay. Yes, and I, I'm working on a case right now uh, that I think pertains possibly to a time slip. Uh, highly credible, paranormal researchers have all their equipment set up. Uh, they are doing a CE5 experiment with uh, a confirmed uh, abductee trying to call down craft. Uh, they they want to c- try to collect EVPs on their equipment. When a craft comes in, uh, they are observing the craft, uh, and they are taken. And... When they arrive home, they discover that they have video of non-human entities. The only problem is the video was taken about an hour before the abduction experience itself. Hmm. So we are wondering if they were in two places at the same time, if they were abducted uh, at 10.30, taken to the moon, returned and arrived back on Earth at 9.30 or so. So, uh, could be. My goodness. Shane? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, well, there's different types of time slips, I think, but um, with the um, the Philly case in Connecticut, remember that scene that, that uh, was it Don, Donna's, um, Donna Philly's son was driving down the road and he came up on some emergency, Emergency vehicles, but they were yeah, the Litchfield Triangle. Uh, Mark D'Antonio yes. also had the same experience there. He lives in that area. <clears throat> this is the Litchfield yeah. Connecticut Triangle we're often talking about. Yeah, so they're dressed up in in clothes from a different time, and and uh, they're being told that they ha- they had to uh, detour or whatever, and they turned around because it did, didn't seem right to them, and they went back, and everything was gone. Yeah. So it, um, but but yeah, and then there's like time slips. Um, you know, seem to happen a lot where. The, uh, there has been a, a very emotionally charged event, you know, Gettysburg. People are seeing soldiers in the field, you know, all the time. And those are time slips. Those aren't hauntings, I believe. Um, but mm. places where there, there are murders, um, the highly charged emotional events, those emotions have frequency. They cross over over parallels. Um, and 
so we see that a lot, you know. So we, we are called to some houses to investigate. It's not an interactive haunting. It's it's time slips. It's not what people call residual haunting, like your house is a DVR and it's recording it. That's not how <laughs> yeah. it works. Um, th- that's an explanation by people that just don't have a proper understanding. So, but I, um, those are time slips that that and they usually take place where there has been an emotionally charged event, and um, and sometimes parasites will will capitalize on that as well. Okay, uh, Ben, thoughts? Um, uh, I suppose I, I have a few. I um, I don't know. Time's weird, right? Like, you know, it, time really isn't a thing. And I I think as 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 time has gone on, um, <laughs> we've we've sort of entered this very interesting sort of dimension, for lack of better words, in in all of our research, where we kind of see you know how does how does time itself kind of play into each of these experiences, and how we relate to it in a sense. Because it is kind of relative all the way across the board, right? So, like, you know, if somebody does get abducted, say, you know, and they get taken to, you know, Andromeda or something, or somewhere super-duper far away, but then they come back within, you know, a mo- like the blink of an eye, you know, it kind of it kind of shows the sort of relativity in which we all sort of exist. I think it's sort of like a micro-experiment in our own way to see how we relate to time every day, you know? Mm. Like, the show feels like it goes by in an instant, when in, in reality, it's an hour, if you can call it reality. And I think, you know, we're really only scratching the surface by, you know, how we relate to time itself. Because if we do supposedly time travel all the time, which I guess technically we do, because, I mean, traveling normally would be traveling through time, in in sort of a esoteric sense. But really, what I'm trying to get to is that you know we're we're just barely you know we're we're not nowhere near the tip of the iceberg at this point before we kind of descend down into sort of this rabbit hole of you know how do we experience you know not just paranormal events but everyday events in in a sense of time yeah well peter asked for some examples i mean i i can give one uh, that happened more or less to me uh, 1975, it was the summer, and uh, I was uh, still rattled. For, I was in the seminary at the time, still studying for the priesthood, and I was visiting <clears throat> a, um, a friend in Vermont, uh, which was the Roman Catholic diocese I was studying to be a priest for, and I was still rattled from the Bridgeport poltergeist uh, case of the previous November, and uh, we were sitting on uh, his front porch in central Vermont, or actually northern Vermont, outside the town of uh, Enosburg, which is named after a relative of ours, actually. And uh, two fellows drove up in a pickup truck, and they were surveyors. And uh, he had asked them to come to talk to me, unbeknownst to myself, about an experience that they had had in the town of Johnson uh, in the mountains a bit farther south. And the push comes to shove. Uh, they'd been surveying for a farmer there, uh, a few months before, or actually only about a month or two before, and they had uh, come down a hill and they had seen a rather odd house at the bottom of this hill because they were walking the bounds, as they, as they called it, before they did the actual survey. And uh, there was a dirt road, uh, a stone wall, and this house that looked like it had never been painted. There were no wires. There were clothes hanging on a clothesline, but there were no cars or anything in the driveway, no, no uh, television antenna as you would have had at the time before cable. And they thought it was a little strange. There was a man uh, who had um, had an axe over his shoulder, 
and they called to him to ask where his property lines were, said they were surveyors, but he didn't seem to hear them. He kind of did because he looked out, but it, it was as though he couldn't see them. And uh, as as one of the surveyors told me, he said, there are, some, there are still some pretty strange people in these hills, so uh, you know, we thought retreat was the better part of valor here. So that they uh, they left. When they came back a week later to do the actual survey, the house was gone. There was just uh, a foundation, and it, it's not as if it had like burned down the day before. It was very old. There were, there were certain plants that, that that tend to like old foundations that have been burned. And they checked in the town records, and there had been a house there until 1910, and it had burned down. So. If that doesn't qualify as a time slip, then there is no such thing. So mm. that was just one example from my own cases. So, all right, well, I, I don't know. Peter, uh, contact us privately if you want uh, more uh, to be regaled with further heroic tales of, <laughs> of yes, time we'll set, slip. We'll set up a chair by the fire. Yes. <laughs> so uh, what do we have next, Ben? Uh, would you like to continue along the same line? We can, time yeah, it's one of the newer ones, yeah. Okay. Yes, so Carrie from Bellingham, Massachusetts writes to us, uh, I have heard you talk about time slips, as we, we just did. Everybody's got time on their mind. Yeah, I guess. Well, well a lot of time on their hands, uh, actually, you, at this point. I was just going to make that, that pun. Um, could you put, <laughs> could you, uh, could these be related to near-death experiences? Uh, how do they fit into your ideas about the multiverse, and what do you do if it happens to you? Well, that's an interesting. Uh, I'll throw that out to our to our guest co-host today. I don't know, uh, Shane, Kathy, any uh, further thoughts repeat? on how they might be related? First of all, the near death experiences or other out of the body experiences, anything like that? Oh, near death is uh, is to um, time slips. Is that what it was? Yeah, Correct. interesting uh, parallel. All right. So, um, I've I've had a near death experience uh, three times. So. Um, and I'm not sure how it relates to a time slip, but um, I know it was it was definitely bizarre when I had my near death experiences, uh, especially one particular, because I be I could feel the feelings of everyone around me. I could read their thoughts of everyone around me as if I were them. Um, and I'm talking about neighbors. It just it kept spreading out, and I felt aware of like more and more and more as the time went on, as well as having my own thoughts. And um, and and I'll tell you, it was just very very strong very strong and and um and the other the other two times i was just basically spoken to and, and like one time i was told um i know i'm getting off the topic here but um was to um tell tell the doctor what to do to save me and so i i, I had passed out or you know dropped i, I uh, plummeted or whatever and came came to and told him what to do and then um, a little while later I woke up and within a half hour I felt amazing and I said what happened because you know they were like there was people all over me stay with us stay with us you know and um, I had a major allergic reaction is what happened and um, and then the doctor just looked at me he said we did exactly what you told us to do and but it saved my life so the next time I had that same that same uh, thing happen to me again I knew right what to do what to tell doctors to do but um but I, I don't know if I ever thought of relating the two time slips to a near death. Hmm. Um, well, at I that point, uh, let, let's take our bottom of the hour break, and then we'll get, get to Kathy on that. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with more of your questions. Stick with us.
the night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Okay, well, on that happy note, we're back with Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. And we are <clears throat> very happy to have with us today two very special guest co-hosts, Shane Searway and Kathy Martin. Kathy making her debut as a host uh, on the show. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Kathy, uh, your thoughts on the question of uh, time slips is any, with any relation to OBEs, out-of-the-body experiences, or near-death experiences? <laughs> It is a very interesting question and one that I had never really entertained uh, before. I think of my own what might have been a near-death experience. Uh, The closest I ever got was when I was extremely ill and um, my mother came to me. My mother is deceased and... uh, I, I saw her sort of in a tunnel coming toward me, and she said, I'm not going to have you come with me today, but uh, you might come early next week. And so I just took that as a, a reason to go to the hospital. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did not pass at that point. Um, so where was she coming to me from? Wrong. Was that a time slip? I, I really can't say that it was. I think that it was just kind of an interdimensional experience where my consciousness connected with her consciousness. Uh, so, you know, that's the, the best that I can do on that question. I, I mm-hmm. will give it more thought, though. Okay. And, Ben, any thoughts on that? Um, hmm. Thoughts you say? Um, well, I think I think it sort of is like it's a mystery, right? Like, you know, well, yes. Well, obviously. I mean, that's yeah. why we're waxing about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess the most the most human experience that you could really have is, is death, right? And you know, what's what is the point of being human? You know, and and what is what does being a human mean, right? So if it's if let's let's say you know we're sort of three different things that are kind of cobbled together. You know, you have a mind, supposedly there's a spirit, and you have a body, right? So, uh, I don't know. I, I have this... I don't I don't judge people or, like, really... I've never had a near-death experience myself, so I've never had the ability to kind of experience it in a way that I can understand it. <laughs> I almost said I'd love to, but I really, I really <laughs> wouldn't love to. Um, no. I, but I, I, I think it's it's hard to speak on an experience I've never had. I had one while you were there. You were a baby. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, you weren't a baby. You were maybe two or three. And uh, I had, unbeknownst to myself, I had pneumonia and atrial fibrillation going on at the same time. So I was, it was not good. So so, so something like slapped me in the face and said, "Go to the hospital, stupid." And <clears throat> I, I did, and it turned out uh, that was what I had. But. While I was, uh, you were in, um, we had a, a second building where I had my office and you'd stay with me during the day. The former chicken coop. The, yeah, well, it had been a chicken coop. And, uh, the, yeah, the chickens all had uh, pretty much uh, near-death experiences after that fire. But, and you were, um, uh, it was, um, I, I suddenly had this, the most vivid vision I've ever had. 
of something that would be totally... I, I can't understand why. There was a, a, a cave that had it was man-made, or more like a tunnel, with these beautiful, vivid plants around it, and this, this like, lizard, multicolored lizard standing in the entrance, totally non-threatening. I'm not big on lizards or anything, and I don't mind them, but I, you know, I wouldn't think of the last thing I'd ever want to see would be a lizard. But regardless of what it was, and that's when I really got the feeling, go to the hospital, stupid. Mm. So... Um, I guess your mom uh, stayed home from work, and I, I drove myself to the hospital. I was there for 10 days. But if that was a near-death experience, I don't know. Uh, before we leave the question, the only other thing I, I would say is uh, having encountered, and the only time, we've talked about this on the show, but I've written about it in my last book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, was, was the flashing nexus. We've had to invent an entire vocabulary just to talk about these concepts. Now, maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but we have terms for things. The flashing nexus is an experience that I started to hear about way back uh, in the uh, early 70s, and it was um, uh, the experience of someone. First of all, the, the, the first people I encountered were people who had been on an operating table, and uh, they, they, they were familiar with the concept of near-death experiences, but they said, that's not really what this was. The first man I talked to, uh, he he wasn't even under yet. He was in in the the, the uh, OR or the whatever where where they were prepping him or something, but he wasn't uh, anesthetized yet. And he had suddenly he was the nurse. Suddenly he was the doctor. When the operation began, uh, he was the doctor. Uh, it only lasted for a few seconds, and he he kept a sense of humor enough to say that. Well, I'm kind of glad I had all his memories and all his knowledge because I was operating on myself. And then he was somebody passing by in a car outside the hospital. I said, what the hey is this? I've never even heard of anything like this. And it's not common, at least in my experience, but in uh, subsequent years there have been people who have, have been cats, the neighbor's cat, but only for a few seconds. But they, they were very conscious of it. And there were, there were hints, sometimes more than hints, that they were in other times while they were having these experiences, not not a lot, but uh, usually it was concurrent. But there were, there was another fellow who said he he was a, a man he didn't even know, and uh, th- everything around him indicated the future. Somebody else said they were having a past experience. So, I mean, whether this is legitimate or sim- simply some sort of, sort of uh, psychic episode or something, I don't know. But uh, th- that's a, that's an, an odd angle, I suppose, on the question uh, just from experiences that I've had. But the flashing nexus, it's. Uh, very strange, the, the nexus being the core of consciousness, and you're simply flashing to parallel lives where you are, these people. That's how I interpret it. That could be wrong. So, I guess we've Can done I that add one it. more thing? Yeah, sure, Shane. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my first near-death, near uh, was, I was ten and a half, I got sick, and n- nobody knew what was wrong with me or whatever, and I just got so weak. Um, but, but prior to, to that um, happening... I would, growing up, I would ha- always have a reoccurring dream. It was always the same. I'm on, I'm camping. I might have told this story before. We're camping with the family and uh, across this raging river. It's real wide and it's just going so fast as there's people of all race, all nationalities, um, all color and they're, they're over there and they're celebrating and they want me to come over. They're celebrating because I'm there and they want me to come over and there's a fire and they're dancing and, and, um, they're happy to see me and everything. And I had that dream over and over again growing up. So then when, but there was one guy that was, he really stood out. He was like the, the leader of, of that gang or whatever. And so when I had that near death, the night I was hospitalized, which they brought me at the right time because, um, I wouldn't be here if they, they waited five more minutes, but, um, but right prior to that that happening, 
um, by me, I, I actually left my body and everything um, after this event. But all of a sudden, there was a man sitting, there, but there was nothing to sit on. But it was like he was sitting on something by by the not the foot of the bed, but around my knee area. And it was the, the main guy in my reoccurring dream growing up. And he, he told me, he says, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. This is happening because we try to reach you through dreams, and we weren't able to do that. Because in the dream, I always wanted to go over there, but my mother always pulled me in the camper. No, you can't go over there. And so he said, this is happening because you're going to help people for the rest of your life. And then he gave me information that didn't make sense to me at the time, but through you know um, the years it started to connect the dots and make make more sense but it was just weird that i had this because kathy mentioned consciousness and how you know my tie-in but i had this dream growing up and all of a sudden i had this near death and this same guy sitting next to me it was very real by the way well there you go okay ben what do we have next um well uh, we have, we can go a couple different routes uh we can go the eschatological route if you'd like um <laughs> Uh, let's see if there's anything that's more in the realm of... That's a question about Lovecraft. We went through that. Would you like me to go to the... Ca- anything. But- All right, fine. I'll, <laughs> we'll go with Frank from Bakersfield, California. Okay. He writes, are you guys familiar with the Kern City Poltergeist? Uh, a lot of experts think this is an example of a poltergeist case caused by a vengeful ghost uh, and not by the human agent theory. Uh, I know your theories are different from everybody else's, so what do you think? Well, so it's funny. I, I saw that question come in, and, and I, I read a... a I, I'm somewhat familiar with the case. Uh, it happened, funny, oddly enough, in Bakersfield, California, uh, or near there in uh, 1981-1982. And uh, I read a paper about it recently, and I read another paper about it previously that had been in uh, the American Society for uh, Psychical Research, uh, the Journal of journal of and uh <clears throat> it was quite interesting I, i'm often su- surprised how people with brilliant minds very often think very narrowly narrowly and i don't mean to be condescending but i mean i think that the thinking quote outside the box if you'll pardon the cliche is often um i think something that that we don't we don't see very often even with people with letters after their names but uh, be that as it may uh, that case was a uh, seemed to be relatively standard poltergeist case. Kind of reminded me, in a way, of the the Bridgeport case of '74, and it was a December. Uh, it didn't last long, seemingly December of '81 into January of '82, and there were uh, objects moving around the house. There were witnesses. There were there were uh, yeah, relatively uh, garden variety poltergeist sorts of things. But the, the the question that arose in the studies that I read were the idea of the agent, and the, the, uh, our questioner mentions the, the term agent, human agent. Uh, the the uh, standard parapsychological uh, approach at the time, and pretty much today too, uh, to some extent, is that uh, you have someone who's in great trauma, very often a, a child who's uh, going into uh, teenhood, entering puberty, uh, and uh, has a lot of upheaval going on inside, and then produces what, I guess they stop short of calling a thought form or a tulpa, but w- will produce uh, a lot of energy that just comes out in the form of poltergeist. Now, having experienced poltergeist and been attacked by them, um, intentionally or otherwise, I just don't think that is good enough. And what this person is saying in, in the papers, uh, studying the case, was that the human agent idea was not good enough and that there was a separate entity involved, in this case, a nasty human spirit 
Now, I've always believed in the principle of parsimony, which essentially is that uh, you, know, you avoid all the assumptions you can in favor of what you do know or think you know. And the assumptions present in all these uh, paranormal, in almost all these paranormal uh, analyses really strike me as uh, lacking in the principle of parsimony. For example, he assumes that because it's the, uh, he being the, the person who's writing the papers, uh, studying this, that uh, it's not a matter of the um, uh, human agent, but it's a matter of the uh, ghost of someone who is uh, nasty, or in this case, they believed it was the person who previously occupied the house. Standard garden variety 19th century answer to but this. With fancy parapsychological terms. Something like that, yes. Um, so, I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's, I suppose, possible, although physicists tell us that, that the existence of a spirit without a body containing all the uh, imagination, thoughts, uh, memories, uh, or in this case, animosities or desire for vengeance that a person might have is not possible under our laws of physics. Whereas in parallel worlds, the laws of physics may be different. I suppose it might be possible. But at least in my experience, maybe I'm interpreting it too narrowly, but the, in parasite cases, I've seen poltergeist cases. Um, it, it's just uh, an, an alien Entity alien in the very broad sense of the word. I'm not saying they just you know tumbled out the door of the of the, of the spacecraft, but uh, some sort of non-human, very different, totally other entity. Th- that's, that's a really really good point. I never thought of this until now. Um, then what's the point of the human brain, right? So if all your emotions and memories and all that are contained in your spirit, then what's the point of having a brain? Yeah, at all? I can't deal with the dualism. No, yeah. right, because then it's like, then that just registers neurology completely, you know, irrelevant. Yeah, it does. And we've had n- uh, neuroscientists on the show talking about this very thing, and they, they, they have trouble with it too. Um, what, do our, what do our co-hosts think, uh, Shane and Kathy? Shane, you've had a lot of experience with this, and Kathy, I, I know you've run into this too. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with that the case that we're referring to, but but what what I do find is um, a lot of the, the preconceived ideas of what all the, these things are. I, I do my work doing exactly what you were saying. When I started doing my work many years ago, I, I unlearned everything I thought I knew, everything I read in books like yeah. Hans Holzer. When I was little, that's the only about the only book you could get your hands on about this. Um, and I and because I realized. It, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. And as I started doing my research, just keeping an open mind and never locking down to a particular theory, just because I wanted to form my own by, you know, um, going through the mechanics. You know, things just don't happen just because. You know, and that's what a lot of these preconceived these, these older researchers will they'll just come up with these terms just to explain what's happening, like the residual haunt thing, um, like demons and you know all this other stuff. And what we do is we call it by their personality because we don't know anything a lot of this stuff 100% sure but we do we do pay attention to the mechanics and how how they work so we we call them parasitic entities because we know that they're a parasitic life form based on what we observe i mean you take away those human emotions that they're feeding off of and it gets rid of them every single time we so we're manipulating the mechanics but they are an actual life form and so a lot of these um you know old school investigators they just come up with these terms drop it on something just because they don't have um an understanding and they're they're afraid to say i don't know but what they're spitting out is foundationless and um 
and that's why I, I like the way that we all do our research, all of us, is is that, you know, we, we look to get to the root cause and understand the, all the mechanics, not just what's taking place, but how did we get there, you know, not just, um, you know, what they are, but how they are. And, and, and I think that's why we've had a lot of success with what we do. And that's everyone on this call right now. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. Kathy? Well, I'm not familiar with the specific case that the writer referred to. Uh, and I'm uh, fairly new to the, the paranormal. I'm more of a specialist in the UFO part of it. But... Going back again to my own childhood where there were a number of things going on in the house, uh, this happened after a craft had landed within 250 feet of my childhood home. Uh, the, the Ouija board part of it came in, in somewhere in that time frame. But we did have an experience when I was at the home uh, I was in college, I was about 20 years old, and my boyfriend was spending the night. The family was going to go out fishing on our cabin cruiser on the ocean the following day. We were all awoken during the night uh, by my boyfriend who was yelling and he ran from the house. And my mother went after him. He didn't want to come back into the house. What had happened was that... Uh, the coat hangers had lifted up out of a closet and flew across the room and landed on top of him when he was sleeping during the night. Now, that bedroom had been my brother's bedroom where there was a lot of activity going on. Uh, my brother did not have any, you know, emotional problems or anything that might generate that kind of activity. He was pretty uh, even-keeled, and uh, he was serving in the Army during the time that this happened. So uh, just my personal story, I'm still attempting to understand all of this. I was in denial of it for a lot of years. Uh, I we went on. My mother thought that uh, after working with a paranormal investigator that it might be a child ghost named Hannah, and I didn't believe that that was even possible. So my mother wanted uh, Hannah to go to my home with me in Cincinnati. I was married then, and. Uh, uh, we were in graduate school in Cincinnati. So thinking that mm, Hannah was a figment of her imagination, we took Hannah with us. We stayed at a hotel that night, and when we went to bed, the bed started shaking. And it wasn't our activity that was doing it. <laughs> we were, you know, if, uh, it was quite frightening. And it caused me to wonder, gee, maybe Hannah was real. And maybe it was Hannah that was uh, doing all of this. Well, I'll tell you, that coat hanger thing was something. I'll bet that was the end of that relationship, huh, Kathy? No, I ended up marrying him. Oh, you did? <laughs> Brave <laughs> man. Brave man. It was Brave almost man. the end of the relationship. <laughs> we almost split up with me the next day. Hey, but, not a real uh, winner. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sh Shane, you've had some experience with that sort of thing, uh, you know, with, with the uh, uh, sort of the thing, people being haunted rather than places, so to speak. 
Yeah, right. And that's that's exactly how it works. And what, I'm talking the uh, the negative, the negative uh, uh, hauntings, the ones that are aggressive and nasty. They're haunting the people. They're not haunting the house. So when you when you leave that dwelling to get away from, it, it's going to follow you. And there's some things on, in, in the environment that will make it more strong. So if you live by a river or stream, the hauntings that negative um, entity will come through more frequently. If you move away from these natural elements that aid the process, it'll still happen. It just won't happen as frequent. But also, to touch on something, too, um, I think that's interesting because it's happened quite a few times because um, I, I research everything, like as we all do, and, um, and I've also had my personal experience uh, with, with abduction and stuff like that. Well, I was contacted um, a couple years ago by a, a, an older lady who lives in um, southern New Hampshire, and she had, all of a sudden, she lived in the South for a while, and all of a sudden she has poltergeist-type activity happening. She, she says, I do have some remodeling going on, so I, I'm probably upsetting something. But what she was describing, what was going on in her house, told me that it might be alien-related or um, now and not so much as a, like a poltergeist or, or something. And now, so she had like puddles of water showing up where they shouldn't be. You know, like there's no where for the water to have come from. She's, she's ha- having like these shadow things mess with her at night and you know she was seeing uh, figures in her room and and um other people like things were just flying across the house and it just everything that she told me it just it, it's like everything i've seen in people that had a near um a, a close encounter and so i asked her i said this is going to sound really strange and i apologize but i have to ask because you, your case sounds very familiar to me did you recently see a ufo and she goes oh <gasps> Yeah, she's like, about a week before all this started taking place, there was one above the tree line in my backyard, and she watched it, and um, she said it was it was incredible, and then all of a sudden this stuff start, starts happening. I said, what I've noticed in, in my research is it'll usually, and I don't know if Kathy's seen this too, but in my personal research, when that happens to somebody that had a close encounter, and all of a sudden they have this poltergeist-type activity in their home, which is, I don't think, really a poltergeist, well, we never know, um, that it usually goes on for about a week and a half to two weeks. And I told her, I said, give it that length of time. And so that that amount of time went by, and I, I emailed her. I said, so how's, every, how's everything? She goes, you were absolutely right. She goes, a week and a half, and it was gone. She goes, nothing happens. She still got work going on, but nothing's happening in her home. So I think it was de- directly related to that encounter that she had with that UFO. Well, Kathy? Yes, and it does last for a little while, maybe a week and a half to two weeks, and and then it stops. It's not something that continues on and on and on with the experiencers of uh, ET contact that I have worked with. Okay. Well, since uh, why don't we jump to the part where we talk about ourselves, since all four of us have had all our events canceled uh, for the uh, foreseeable future yeah. anyway. Uh, Kathy, it's Mother's Day, so you go first. This is your debut, so you go first. Tell us about yourself, your books, etc. Well, uh, I am now working on one of the biggest cases, maybe the most important case that I have worked on in the 30 years that I've been doing this. You'll hear more about that in the future. Uh, I'm writing a book as well, not about that, but uh, about uh, my journey. And you can go to my website at Kathleen-Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, dot com to uh, order 
autographed copies of my books, to read articles that I have on there. I have a blog. And uh, so there's a lot of information there and also a list of the uh, conferences that I might be speaking at in the fall and next <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, all of us. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Shane? Yeah, so my website, truegoats.com, and um, I'm going to look to really update that and improve that. Um, I used to have it gangbusters, you know, but it just it was too much work. So, But I'm looking to do that again. I'm also going to start doing a lot of live feeds from field work, um, more interactive. You know, I think that would be cool where there's a live chat and people can talk yeah. about what's going on and, and, and things. I enjoy that. I enjoy interacting with the, the public like that. And, and so um, I'm looking to do, do that. I have right now, I've been doing a lot of shows um, over the last couple of months. I've done a bunch, but um, and I'm sure that will continue. But no conferences scheduled for me right now and uh, <laughs> at all. So, well, hopefully the world uh, will get back in gear and we'll uh, be out there in the fall, all of us, because uh, mm-hmm. we tend to speak at the, at the same conferences, at least here in New England. So, yeah. so uh, <clears throat> why don't we go to our uh, announcements, Ben? <clears throat> and uh, uh, As we just said, our live appearances uh, have been uh, canceled, but uh, keep an eye on the Behind the Paranormal YouTube channel for charity events uh, that we may be working on and that we may uh, drag our two co-hosts into. They don't know it yet, but uh, we'll see if we can uh, get something out there, maybe do a little good. Uh, so assuming that we're out of this crisis by the fall, uh, we, we plan to be back at the Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend. That's uh, September 5th and 6th as speakers and to do our fifth annual live broadcast from the historic Exeter Town Hall on Sunday the 6th at noon. And the event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities. And as we say, Kathy is always there. It's Shane usually, too. <clears throat> we also hope to be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Mass. On Columbus Day weekend in October, uh, I'm supposed to be the keynote speaker to mark the, uh, I guess, 50-year work anniversary in the paranormal, so I'm told. So uh, I'm honored by that. Because <clears throat> it'll be the story of my life if we keep, don't have the conference. <laughs> anyway, um, check out our books, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard of. Uh, and now, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in some stores. And autographed copies, just go to BehindTheParanormal.com. Now, we're getting, um, we're kind of roping uh, Shane and Kathy here into a new book that we're working on in UFOs. We've been talking about that. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully have that out by the end of this year. Uh, also at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can find more about the show and uh, all the various cases over the years and lots and lots of uh, of uh, links to uh, places where you can hear all our shows from uh, the past um, 11, uh, actually almost 12 years, and uh, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, the, those are out there in all the uh, major podcast platforms, including YouTube. Uh, now we are still working on getting 2009 up and 2008 uploaded, but we will we will do that eventually. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Yes. Uh, so there are links to several charities that we have adopted on the show that in, that includes uh, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, Helping Haiti's Orphans, U- uh, Youth Mentoring Connections (YMC) in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, along with the Milk Fund here in Northern Rhode Island. And uh, we emphasize these charities, we, we vet them very, very carefully. We know uh, the people who run these, uh, particularly the uh, Helping Haiti's Orphans, that, that's based right here in Rhode Island. And I've been to Haiti in the line of duty and also researching voodoo, and my goodness, uh, th- these, these are wonderful people who need a lot of help. 
Uh, Sisterhood of Ground Zero, we know them, and uh, Tony LeRae out in Los Angeles, the Youth Mentoring Connection, doing tremendous things for at-risk youth out there. So please, uh, if you can go to our page and go to the charity page and check those out, that would really, really be great. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> we are um, going to be moving on to uh, some new... Uh, Shows here with guests. Uh, this is our second open line show because we had just so many questions and we still have plenty of questions. Yeah, we didn't even get through and, all of them. And we want to thank uh, certainly Kathy Martin for making her debut today uh, on the show as a guest co-host. She's been on many times as a guest. And Shane, our, our stalwart uh, guest co-host. I, I think if, if you weren't on any of these open line shows, we'd have people picketing the, the station, I think, Shane. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so let's. Uh, what do we got next week, Ben? So next week, uh, that's May 17th, we will have a rare appearance by a psychic. And we don't have, and we, that, but we feel that author Maria Dandria uh, has some pretty interesting things to say about metaphysics and magical thinking and their place in modern life. Okay, we'll leave it this afternoon with a thought from Gautama the Buddha. We are shaped by our thoughts. We become what we think. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Stairway. Thanks for joining us on a great whoa, 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 whoa. journey. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Line. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm I, I, Kathleen Martin. Thanks I for joining us on our great cosmic journey. Everyone be safe. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Okay. Return to the radio. <laughs>